Welcome to Eye to Eye, the podcast of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists. My name is Sunil Mamtora and I will be your host. Welcome to the brand new series of the Eye to Eye podcast. Following our successful pilot series, we're bringing the podcast back for monthly episodes. In today's episode, Series 1, Episode 1, we delve into coping with workplace stress and burnout in the NHS with Dr. Haidar Al-Hakim, an ophthalmologist who has experienced burnout himself whilst running a charity eye service and volunteering as a surgeon in a war zone in Iraq. Firstly, though, we hear from Daniel Williams, who spoke with me about what benefits patients can receive after being registered as either sight-impaired or severely sight-impaired. Hi, Daniel. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, hi everyone. So my name is Daniel Williams. Um, I'm the founder of Visualize Training and Consultancy and I work across the UK to make services more inclusive for blind and partially sighted people. Um, um, I'm also a patient, so I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa at the age of eight years old. Um, and I went through a traumatic experience, you know, getting to the age of 16, um, having the realization that I was going to go blind one day, not knowing where to go next for help and support. Um, and feeling very much in a dark situation um, and feeling very, very depressed, low and suicidal because I didn't know where to go next for help and support. So I feel really, really passionate about this agenda and getting the message out there to all healthcare professionals so that no patient is left to um, try and navigate the system without support. So walk us through the benefits for the patient if they're registered as either sight impaired or severely sight impaired. Yeah, so there are many benefits of certifying a patient as severely sight impaired or sight impaired. Um, the main benefit is obviously that it opens up the door to social services and social care. Um, so a patient will be, the certification will be sent to social services. At that point, social services will then contact the patient and ask them if they would like to be on the register of people that have sight impairment or severely severe sight impairment. Um, and social services will then ask them, and it's voluntary, so the patient doesn't have to be, um, but it's a choice. Um, so the patient will then be contacted by social services and asked if they would like a rehabilitation worker to come out and do a home visit. The, home, uh, the rehabilitation worker will then do a home visit, looking at lighting in the home, looking at cooking. Are they, are they struggling to cook? Are they burning themselves? Um, can they make a drink safely? Are they underpouring, overpouring? Um, are they struggling to get out and about? Are they tripping a lot? Are they falling? Do they need maybe long cane training to actually help them to navigate? Do they maybe need to be referred on to other services for helping them with social um, interactions, that type of thing? So a rehabilitation worker will work with that individual to look at all of the challenges that they have and what are the solutions to enable that person um, to regain the skills that they already know, but just in a different way because now they can't see so well. The second reason that we do certification is so that um, organisations can plan for services. So social services can plan because they know how many people in that area have a visual impairment, for example. Um, eye clinics can plan because they know how many people that they've um, certified in, in, a, in a certain time. So it's a, a lot of it is used for statistics as well with the Department for Health. That's really interesting. I was just wondering, you know, what specific benefits do patients who are registered as severely sight impaired receive over patients who are registered as sight impaired? Yeah, so there are certain um, concessions that are only for people that are severely sight impaired and, and then the other ones are for everyone, whether you're sight impaired or severely sight impaired. So what I'm going to do first of all is go through the ones that are only for people that are severely sight impaired, just to make that easier. So the ones that are only for people that are severely sight impaired are 
the blue badge. So if you're registered as severely sight impaired, you get access to a blue badge, which you have to apply for. Um, and then you get to use, um, you get to park at the front of the shops, which is always good. Um, but obviously not in your own car because that would be dangerous. Um, the other, the other uh, benefit that people would get if they're severely sight impaired is they would get um, blind person's tax allowance, which is an additional £2,450 on top of your personal allowance. And that allowance can also be transferred to your spouse um, if potentially you're not in employment as well. Um, and the third, the third thing is the half price TV license. So people will get half price off their TV license. And again, they would have to apply for that by sending off their um, registration card to the TV licensing company. Okay, and how about the benefits for patients registered as sight impaired? Yeah, so the benefits that are for everybody, so whether you're severely sight impaired or sight impaired, um, are as follows. So you would get a free bus pass, and again, you'd have to apply for that by your local authority. Um, so you get the bus freely. Um, and in, if you're in London, then you'd also get um, an Oyster card as well to use the, the underground as well, which is always good. Um, you would also get access to uh, free carer to go to festivals, cinema, um, and any attractions like Disneyland, etc. You also get to skip the queues if you have um, your registration card with you as well, which is always good if you want to get to the front. Um, the other thing that you will get is free postage. So you can also send um, any documents in large print, uh, braille, in the post for free, which is always good. Um, and also you get VAT exemption on, on any um, products that are specifically due to your disability. So, for example, if you were to buy a video magnifier that costs £2,000, you would be VAT exempt on that. So you wouldn't need to pay any VAT on that product. Um, you would also get free directory inquiries as well. So if you need to find a number rather than ringing 118 118, which is really expensive, you would get free directory inquiries because BT understand that it's difficult for people who can't see very well to use the phone book. So they give you that service for free. Um, so it does open up a wealth of, 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 of um, benefits, but also it will help your, your application for welfare benefits as well. So such as personal independence payments, which used to be called disability living allowance, um, and also employment and support allowance. It will help strengthen your applications for benefits as well, which is always good, especially if you're not, if you're not in employment, you know, so that you get the additional money that, that you're entitled to effectively because you can't see very well. Okay, Daniel, so just one final question. What message would you have for our listeners who are seeing patients on a day-to-day -day basis? Okay, so for me, it's about make sure that you never assume that the patient has been certified as severely sight impaired or sight impaired. Ask the patient, have you been certified? Um, they may or may not know, um, so maybe looking back on their notes. Um, and also never assume that you, you perceive that because they're managing well that they don't want to be. Again, it's, they need to have the um, information, so they need to know what the benefits are. Um, and then they need, to be given to, they need to be given a choice so that they can make an informed decision on the benefits. I hope you found that really interesting. We now have our second interview with Dr. Haidar Al-Hakim, an ophthalmologist who speaks with us about dealing with workplace stress and burnout. Clinicians, doctors, nurses, health professionals in the NHS, regardless of specialty, are struggling with stress, with increased workloads more than ever. And today we're going to be talking about how can we deal with those workloads, how can we deal with the stress, not just at work, but in our lives. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really, really, um, it's an important topic. And it, it, well, the thing is, it's always been around. So I think stress and burnout has always been around. Um, but it's much more acceptable to talk about it now, which is why we're having this discussion. But once you talk about it, 
Pandora's box opens and the situation tends to get worse before it gets better. So if you're having trouble, you do need to reach out. I think that's, that's really important. Do you, do you think people are reaching out a lot more? I think talking people about are probably hesitant to bring up the issue if they're really? having an issue themselves. Yeah. I think people are fearing of being judged. Yeah. If it'll impact the, their training, if it'll impact their, impact their surgery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean for, for me, talking about it was, was actually very, very stressful. Um, and mentally, it was very difficult. So when I went through my burnout, um, this is while I was in Iraq doing, doing the surgery, um, I didn't realize I was burnt out until a friend of mine came to me uh, from the UK and he said, mate, you like, you've, you've lost your zest for life. You know, the sparkle is not there anymore. Um, and it was only after confiding in a, in a close friend or, or, or a close friend telling me this did I realize how burnt out I was. What were you your know, symptoms of being burnt out? I was just being miserable and um, not laughing and not enjoying life and and just just working twenty four seven, which is I think <laughs> what most doctors are doing now in the NHS. Do you think so, enjoying work is mandatory? Well, it's not mandatory, but it makes things better, doesn't it? Yeah. It just makes your life and the people around you much better. And you know, being doctors, uh, we are in in charge of a lot of people. So if you're not having a good day, you know, you can, you can guarantee that the others aren't having a good day as well. So, you know, it is important to sort of realize where you are on the scale of, of enjoying yourself. And that's quite quick to do, I think. You know, I mean, we're sort of enjoying ourselves having this discussion here. And then you realize if you just sort of stop and go within and give yourself a scale of zero to 10, 10 being you know, ecstatic on LSD and zero being, oh my God, you're dead. Um, just sort of finding that kind of, okay, wh where am I here? You know, am I a, a two? Am I, a, am I an, an eight? And then why? You know, what is it? What is it? Is it the day that I, you know, is it because it's today that I'm doing a particular clinic or a particular procedure or a surgery, I'm working with someone, or I did this yesterday, or I did this this morning, or I did this meditative practice, or I did this exercise. I think just that process of realizing where you are on that scale of, let's say, enjoyment and joyfulness, where am I? Then you realize how much of an impact you're having on yourself and also on the people around you at work. And, you know, it, it's important to enjoy your work because you spend so much time. Exactly. You spend so much time at work. You spend so much effort at work. You spend so much of your life force at work. You know, we can't underestimate that. So, mate, you've got to enjoy work. Exactly. You know, most of our time <laughs> during our best years in life yeah. are spent at work. Yeah. So not enjoying work it's going to make your life miserable, in my opinion. And, you know, I mean, it, it was interesting because I was doing amazing work. I mean, on paper, I was successful, saving site, um, and I was helping thousands of people. And yet I was unhappy and I didn't know why. So that was a major issue for me. So what my, what my friend suggested is seeing a life coach. So I saw a life coach at the time. 
And what he did for me was he got me out of myself. He got me to see my life outside my mind, if that makes sense, and look at my perspective. And then he got me to change my perspective. So I changed my perspective at the time. And what I realized was that the problem why I was burnt out is because my internal ideology changed for being there. So my passion changed and my purpose changed. And that was the reason why I was burning out. It wasn't, you know, the, uh, uh, the hundred hours I was doing and, you know, so many cases I was doing. I mean, that was fine because that was continuing my, um, my energy levels. But it was because of my internal ideological aspect that changed that made me, you know, going to burnout. And what that tells us is that burnout for one person is different from burnout for another person. You know, there's a thousand one causes for burnout. But what it does mean, it means the answers are inside of you. And it means that you do have to slow down, you have to stop and start looking within as to the cause. But I did need help. Mm. You know, you do need help from another person yeah. for this. So, you know, say we've got a trainee or anyone who's actually listening to this podcast and they think to themselves, you know what, on the scale of happiness doing this job, I'm probably a three or a four. How would you say that that person should just take a step and think about how they can make themselves happier at work, even if they don't consider themselves burning out? Well, I think the important thing is, is that they've realized that there's something wrong. Okay, so that's the first thing, that they've come to the realization that there is something wrong and that maybe they need some help. And then they do need to reach out to someone that they trust, to, to someone that they feel psychologically safe with, and talk about it. I think talking is a very therapeutic method of getting to the bottom of things. Um, and the second thing, you need to be honest with yourself. I think honesty is a powerful thing, and it gets down to the bottom of a lot of problems. And for your own problems, being honest with yourself, I think that's really powerful. Um, yeah. And it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, some people are not ready to, to sort of put their hand up and say, I need help here, and that's okay. Maybe they need to go through a few more experiences for them to come to the realization that they're not happy. Um, but at the end of the day, we are human beings, which means we are made up of flaws and imperfections. And you do need to put up your hand and speak with someone that you trust and someone that you feel that can help you uh, to find those flaws uh, and, and change them for the better and become, I mean, you know, it, it is about self-development and it, it is about improving yourself and your situation. And, you know, you deserve it to yourself first before anyone else. How about relationships with our colleagues? How deep a relationship should we be wanting to form with our colleagues? I mean, that's an interesting question. I think that also comes down to you. How much do you want to know about yourself? And one of the best ways to know about yourself is through other people. So um, I think being, you know, having a professional relationship is important. Um, and that means different things for different people. So um, I'm of the opinion, I'm of the opinion that I'd like to have a human relationship with my colleagues, uh, which goes beyond the professional. 
So if I'm having a bad day at work, I can communicate that with my colleagues. If I'm not feeling, if I'm feeling angry, if I'm feeling frustrated, if I'm feeling um, tired, if I'm not feeling well, if I've had a bad day at home uh, the previous night, you know, I, I want to be in a situation where I can communicate that to my colleagues and they understand it and they support me. So that's the kind of level of relationship that I've always had with my colleagues. With your work. trainees as well? With my trainees as well. You know, it, it was pretty, I wouldn't say pretty emotional, but, um, but that's my character type. That's my personality type. I'm a, I'm a pretty emotional, gregarious kind of individual. Um, but I, I, I think it's important to know where you are as a human being and your characteristics and relationship and personality and how that relates to the other person. And it's really important to have that interpersonal um, human connection, um, which takes time, but it does mean that it's not a very clinical, uh, emotionless dynamic. Um, but that's my style, really. Just like you know, we'd like to treat our patients as humans. We do have to treat our colleagues as humans as well, which comes, you know, with the good and bad. So, you know, when, when they're having a, a great day, it's great. And when they're having a bad day, it is quite demanding. And, you, and do you stressful. think having deeper relationships with our colleagues means that we enjoy our job a lot more? I think so. I think so. So if I'm having a bad day, I'd like to think that my colleagues will support me through that bad day. And if they're having a bad day, I'd like to think that I'd support them when they're having a bad day. So it's sort of creating that psychological safe space to allow us to interact during the good days and the bad. Yeah. Um, which means if things go not so well, at least we have that humane mindset to understand why it didn't go so well. Whereas if we just look at the results, then it becomes very... It, it, it's more difficult to, to understand. And I think the more you understand yourself and your colleagues, that's only a good thing. You know, sometimes as workers in the NHS, no matter what you do in the NHS, you can feel under attack almost, bombarded by an endless list of questions, queries, jobs, tasks, patients to see, people to go and meet with, uh, letters to write. You know, mm. Everyone's got their own threshold. Yeah. How can we increase our threshold, do you think, to... You know, not be affected by all these things and not to snap, not to burn out, not to yeah. get too agitated by all these things? I think rather than talking about threshold, let's talk about reserve here. So I think if you can increase your reserve to deal with these draining tasks, because there are tasks that increase your energy and there are tasks that decrease your energy. So you're probably talking about tasks that drain you rather than uh, increase your life force, so to speak, because at the end of the day, you know, you have a limited life force and you do want to do things that increase the life force rather than diminish it. So realizing that there are certain tasks that drain you, increasing your reserve to deal with these draining efforts. So you need to do more of the things that increase your energy. Do that first, whatever it is, because we're all different people and, you know, we're all individuals. And I think you need to develop that personality type and that mindset of creating boundaries to say look I can't do this now 
I can't do this, I can't do that. And it's very difficult to say no, particularly in the NHS, but that's still an important skill to develop, the ability to say no. And the people that I've worked with, senior colleagues um, and junior colleagues, the ones who are most successful are the ones who can say no, effectively, politely, in a human way, in a humane way, still keep the rapport with your colleagues, but still be able to say no. Because this is going to drain me so much and it's not increasing my life force. I used to do a lot of cataract surgery, but I didn't enjoy squint surgery <laughs> for one reason or another. Um, so I knew that if I was doing cataract surgery, I'd do as many uh, as possible to increase my, my, my um, reserve, so to speak. And then once I'm kind of flowing and, 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 and feel really energized and, and um, great, then I tackle the difficult tasks. You know, in my case would be squint surgery. So it's sort of realizing that there are days, that, that there are times in your, in your day where you can do things which raises your energy so that you can tackle the, um, um, the tasks that don't. And work's never gonna disappear. You'll always have work, you know. So you do need to take care of yourself. You need to realize that the work will still be there once you're gone. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Almost everybody's replaceable. Everyone's replaceable. Everyone's re definitely. Every, everything's replaceable because, you know, this universe is, is, um, is replaceable. If the universe the machine is will go on. Well, yes, of course. Yes, of course. So, you know, it is about having that personal experience which will... Um, raise you rather than lower you uh, and you do need to say a lot a lot more no's yeah you know going back to what you were saying about being in the flow being yeah. on your game you know, sometimes when I'm doing cataract surgery I think I can do anything I've got the confidence I just feel completely in control of what I'm doing but, you know sometimes even though I feel in control I just don't feel 100% in my game I think that goes for a mindset you know, for example, if I'm studying for an exam, sometimes I just think no matter what I read, I absorb it straight away. I understand every concept perfectly easily, but other times when I'm not feeling 100% on my game, you know, the concept becomes a bit more difficult to understand and, you know, you just struggle mentally to be, you know, your best. How do you think people can be their best as much as possible all the time? Yeah, I mean, obviously we can't be in flow all the time, you know, because it does take um, a certain situation, mindset, health, both uh, psychological, spiritual and physical. So all of those elements need to be in line in order to be flowing into a kind of nirvana state. Um, it goes back to self-awareness, self you know, that's what it goes back to. Being aware of yourself, what puts you on your game 100%. This may be a certain music, it may be a certain um, affirmation that you say to yourself. It may be a certain food. Uh, it may be having a certain amount of sleep, speaking to a, uh, a sibling or, or a relative or a friend the day before or even an hour before. Doing certain practices. So, for example, you know, we, we call it scrubbing up, but that could be uh, an opportunity for you to realize that you're about to go into a um, state of 
changing someone's life forever, which is very empowering, which is very positive. And essentially, as you're washing your hand, you can visualize yourself getting into that flow state. So, you know, as I'm speaking now, I've got goosebumps on my, on my arm because you can visualize yourself getting into a, um, let's say, a sort of a spiritual state. Um, so the, these are kind of different ways which you can realize for yourself, and we're all different, you know, that's the thing, Sunil. You know, what's going to work for you is not going to work for me. And I think not having descriptive methods of uh, increasing your flow state um, is important, but just realizing that you can be in these states, and if you can be in these states more than less, would be a better thing. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. So when you're having a bad day, you, you know you've got some in reserve. You can use that as a reserve, so when you're having a bad day, you can get into that flow state again. Uh, it takes time, and it takes experience. And I think the more, um, let's call it, uh, challenging experiences you have the better it's not what many people want to hear <laughs> but if you if you put yourself in challenging situations challenging in terms of the positive challenge as in right this is a challenge I'm going to step forward and increase my flow state in order to address this challenge rather than going back reducing your energy and losing that that flow state. I think it's really important to actually have that recognition and self-awareness as well that people's performance level changes yeah. constantly during the day on a day-to-day -day basis. You know going back to what you said about surgery and competence and experience you know I think I would liken that to driving a car yeah. with surgical experience. You know when you first start driving a car the steering wheel, the seat, everything has to be in a perfect position. Yeah. You know all your settings have to be perfect and if they're not, it's going to be a stressful situation for you. It's going to be difficult. You might have an accident. Whereas, you know, when you've been driving for a few years, you're very comfortable. You can just get into somebody else's car, a manual car that you've never driven before, yeah. with the radio on on a station you don't really like, and in the seat in a completely uncomfortable position. And you can still drive perfectly safely. Yeah, yeah. It's just and, about and, the reserve. And, and, and also having that sort of state of mind yeah. as well, that you're driving a car and you're in different situations, and then you can up the ante, essentially, and get into a, um, a Formula 3 car, and then get into a, a Formula 2 car, and then a Formula 1 car, and, and so on. So you slowly up the ante. Yeah. But you see, if you look at Formula 1 drivers, they get into that flow state before they get into the car. They have a, a particular routine that they do, which comes from experience, which comes from crashing, hundreds of times and but they've got themselves into that mindset that that crash is going to be beneficial for them yeah. you know going through that trauma subconsciously uh, allows you to deal with it subconsciously and then eventually it becomes conscious so it's creating that reserve subconsciously which is why I think you know having um, really senior surgeons being there and, 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 and having the experience that they've had, that permeates into you subconsciously, you know, because there is this 
as Carl Jung says, there is this collective unconsciousness and we are a product of the collective unconsciousness. So if you can realize that my senior colleague who's, who, who's sitting next to me, they have a collective unconsciousness of surgical experience, which I'm experiencing, which I'm experiencing unconsciously. If you realize that, that actually increases your flow state and it makes you operate better. And you know, I, I think when I was um, training, I, you know, I was fortunate to, to train with, with um, uh, under uh, lots of amazing surgeons. And I kind of felt that feeling. I felt really comfortable when I was operating under their supervision because I knew that I was gaining their, um, their sort of uh, unsaid mojo, so to speak. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a faith-based kind of mindset, but it works. You know, part of the flow is focus, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the most difficult things that people find in surgery, you know, is how do you separate personal life from your work life? And when you're looking through the microscope, yeah. giving 100% of your focus to the eye. Yeah. You know, you're not thinking about the fight that you had with your girlfriend. You're not thinking about the bills that are due. How do you focus 100% in what's, on what's in front of you? Well, as, as you just said now, focus is very finite. Focus is finite. So whatever you're focusing on, you're focusing on that. So if you're focusing on the fight the previous day, or you know, the Arsenal lost, or you know, man, you keep winning, that's where your focus is. So you need to realize that focus is just a finite existence. Um, in your experience in life. So you do need to flip that switch. And it is a switch. You need to realize that, okay, I'm about to go into theater. My focus has to be just on the theater. Now, if you have um, thoughts that come into your head, whatever it is, debt, uh, bereavement, um, fights, arguments, this is where meditative practices are, are helpful because these are thoughts that come and go. You can allow them to come and you can allow them to go. But focus is like, like a camera essentially. You know, you've got a picture, you've got to focus that lens on the area that you want to focus. You know, it is literally that simple. And if you have intrusive thoughts, that's something that you need to deal with. If it's um, like an anxiety state, whether it's a physiological state or anything like that, then you know it is worth uh, you know taking whether it's medication or um, walking or, or you know doing some sort of physical activity. But the reason why I'm saying this is that focus is is finite. So if you focus on one thing, that's it. You've done your job. You won't focus on anything else. Could I ask you to give one best piece of advice for any trainee, any doctor, anyone working in the NHS who feels on a day-to-day -day basis that they're kind of snowed under, almost underwater. How would you say the best way to change that mindset would be to start increasing their reserve? It's very physiological, but it works a lot, is breathing. You know, concentrating on the breathing. I think that's very powerful. I think that it allows you to stay in the moment. 
it also decreases the negative thoughts in your head as well. And it just allows other people to realize that you know you are having some difficulty and it lets people come to you and, and it allows you to sort of find yourself and start talking about the problem. So breathing sounds very uh, simple <laughs> and you know very non-technical but if you look at a lot of the, um, the ancient practices uh, that brings about a lot of well-being into a human being, the power of, of breathing. But anyway, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really interesting and I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you, Sunil. Thank you for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. We've got another great episode lined up for you next month. The college is keen to hear feedback on the podcast, whether that's a suggestion for a topic or requests to appear on the show. Email communications at rcops.ac.uk with your suggestions or feedback.